Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, where focus will be on verses 5 through 10. I titled the message today, The Soldier's Commitment. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for the grace that is so sufficient. Thank you, Lord, everything that we do. You know. You have marked out the steps you prepared for us. We have choices to make. And that's our choice is to be here today, to, to hear you speak to us, to guide us and direct us. We know that your words are life. So Lord, we want to see you, Jesus. We want to be like you, Jesus. We long for the day that we'll be with you, Jesus. So feed us. Push your word in our minds and our hearts that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we looked at verses 3 and 4. And we looked at that commitment of a a soldier. In fact, that is the title of this message today is really the, the soldier's commitment. So in verse 4, it begins, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you an understanding in everything. Remember, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, a descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who have chosen, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. Last week we looked at the, the good soldier. His life, well, it was rigid, it was strict, it was firm. He was resolute in concerning his calling, his work. He took it seriously. He was willing to lay down his life. In fact, if you've been a soldier, you know what it's like when you're with men and you're in the trenches together and you have a commander who's willing to lay down a life and you want to honor them and you're willing to die for them. Now he's going to take this soldier metaphor and that of a, an athlete and that of a farmer and compare it to the Christian life, how we are to, to live our life. And what God is calling you and me today is, is a, a deeper commitment to really make him the Lord of our life, really to be preeminent before all things, that we would organize our life and discipline our life that he always comes first. 
Well, today as we look at our text, we see Paul's metaphors. It, it is. A, it's a winning athlete. How does the athlete win? What does he go through? How is he prepared? And that, again, of a hardworking farmer illustrates, again, the, that same commitment for the man that's going to run in such a way to win, the soldier who is going to serve his master, his leader, his commander, and that farmer, that hardworking farmer that oftentimes invests so much in a crop and time and work, but he has this commitment to follow the course, to run the race. So there's this similarity. Well, it begins really with the athlete today, and I'm going to pull verses from different places a little more today because the application is the same in several places when we read. Paul uses the analogy of a, a competitor in the Greek Olympic Games to illustrate really what the soldier's commitment looks like. In fact, Paul often used this metaphor or, or figure of speech by contrasting the commitment of the athlete. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25, let me read. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but, but for us, imperishable. The exhortation to the Christian here is to run in such a way to win, just as an athlete did. It's not just to, to get, oh, I, I got one foot in, I, I said a sinner's prayer, I'll, I'll go to church once in a while, I'll, I'll give a tithe. But God wants the whole person. The person who's truly saved recognizes that he is a soldier in the Lord's army. And when he reads this passage, he realizes his life lines up with that of an athlete because there's similarities, and the same similarities you'll find in a, in a farmer. God wants us to, to look at this and, and relate. Because when Jesus taught and when Paul taught, they, they taught from the surroundings things that people understand. And that's important to understand because you may say, well, I want to witness with my friends, but I don't know what to say. Look around. We know the culture. There are things that they can relate to. Speak in terms that they would understand that liken it to a Christian life. This is what the Christian life looks like. And it's not any different than what Jesus would say if he were here or Paul were here. He would speak the same way. So again, this athlete, the, the Greek culture had, was all over the Roman Empire. They had great stadiums. And he uses this illustration because all over the Roman Empire, you would find these. Well, look with me in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. There since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside the encumbrances, the sin which is so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance, the race that's set before us. Let me stop there for a second. Now, again, it begins with that word, therefore, going back to chapter 11, which is that hall of faith. These are men and women of faith. 
Men and women who had trusted God, had been committed to God. And what it's talking about, this, this cloud of witnesses, is those who have gone before us. They're caught up to be with the Lord. In that sense, their spirit has gone to be with the Lord. They haven't had that bodily resurrection, but their spirits. And they see what's going on. And they're cheering you and me on. As we go through life, just as they would a, a sports event, as someone running the race, encouraging you. And, and they're saying, go on, keep going, keep moving, be steadfast. Lay aside those things, those encumbrances. Lay aside that sin so you'll finish that race. That you hear the word. You hear the word, good and faithful servant. Run in such a way that you're going to win. The athlete, when he ran, he, he would take off all the extra layers of clothes, so he basically ran what we would call like a trunks. So there'd be no hindrances. Well, let me ask you a question. What is hindering you in the Christian life? What is hindering you from moving on and being used by God? Are you available to Him? Is there sin that you need to put away, confess, and repent? Maybe it's just not being fully committed that you need to stop and confess and repent and say, Lord, I want to I recommit my life to you today. Well, it goes on in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. See, that's what the athlete has to have, this self-control, this discipline. And as Christians, we need that self-discipline. They then do it to receive a perishable reap. But see, ours is imperishable. Abundant life with the king, rewards, the things that we carry through are the things that we do for the glory of God, sharing the gospel message with people, impacting them forever. Now, but the question is, how do we do it? It says in verse 2, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, likewise, was committed to the Father. He did the Father's will. He willingly went to the cross to please the Father, but also willingly went to the cross to die for you and me. And that's the discipline. That, that's the self-control. You're here for a purpose. You're here to be a light ambassador. You're here for such a time as this to bring glory to God. We put away those things that would hinder us. We keep our eyes upon Jesus, centered upon him, making him preeminent before all things. Now, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, notice what it says. According to the grace of God which was given me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can, can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. 
We build upon Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus of the Bible. Not just a Jesus, the Jesus, the one who said he is the way, the truth, the life. There's no way the Father but through him. The one that went to the cross, the one that was raised upon the third day by the Father. Seen by over 500 people after he was raised. This Jesus is coming again soon. And he's coming for those who have put their trust and faith in him. Those who have made him the Lord of their life. Those who say, Lord, I give you my life. Notice as it goes on, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, that's Christ Jesus. Now if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, and wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will be evident, for the day will show it, because it be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he built upon remains, he will receive a reward. Now this is important to understand. One day, you and I, as believers, are going to be accountable. What have we done with Jesus Christ? Have we made his name known in the community, to our family, to our friends? How have we brought Jesus here? God has put you and me for such a time as this, in this location, to witness around here. People are watching. What kind of life are we living? They see us in the stores. They see us in the workplaces. Do they see and hear Jesus Christ? And when we bring that message, is it centered upon Christ? That fire speaks of a judgment. It's going to purify. And when it's all burned away, only what's left will be rewarded. In verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on it remains he will receive a reward if any man's work is burned up he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so through fire now it's not talking about a loss of salvation there are many people when this judgment seat comes when this time comes will be ashamed at his coming because they've wasted their life as a believer and my encouragement today is do not waste the time that you have left. I was 45 years old when I got saved. I wasted 45 years. I don't want to waste any more time. I want to finish that race well. And I believe you're here today because you want to finish that race well, the same as I do. The fact is that some people's work will be done in different ways. Not as God has prescribed it. It's the wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to be burned away. Yes, he'll be saved. Or she will be saved. But they'll be ashamed as they wasted a life. The idea is, if we choose to run in such a way to win, we Go through as a Christian in such a way that I'm going to finish the race. Well, make that commitment. I am going to finish the race in the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to put him first. Then you will hear those words, good and faithful servant. It 
really begins with a determination. That's what we saw in verse 5 when we read it. A man chooses to compete in the masteries. And that idea of compete means to engage in a contest, to strive for the masteries, to contend for the prize. It, it means involvement. Being a Christian is not just saying a sinner's prayer and then just sitting there and just reading your Bible. There's a battle going on. We talked about that last week, how the soldiers in this war front. And we have to, we're in the trenches. We're, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We're steadfast, continuing. The battle is the Lord's. But we realize that we need to occupy. And we know it's not always going to be easy. Now, the word, which we get, uh, our English word, athlete, is, is, is where we get this word compete from. Now, the athletes at, at that time, again, basically came from the Hellenists in that, that they would sign a pledge that for 10 months they would train rigidly, vigorously, before they even competed in the contest. Likewise, we don't sign a pledge, but we have this commitment to God. God, I'm going to be your man, your woman. I know that I'm in the battle. I know I like running a race, and I need to discipline myself, and I can learn from, again, the athlete, or I can learn from the soldier. I, I can learn these traits from a farmer and see how these apply to my own life. And how I might bring glory and honor to you. It means participation. Participation, whether it be in this little congregation here in our community, in our workplaces, the places we go and volunteer and minister to. It means there's going to be at times the idea of struggling. And there's this great determination that we're going to finish the race. We need to stop. We need to think for a moment because there's no greater work on this side of eternity than proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing more important in this life than that. Now, certainly we have to work our jobs, provide for our family, I, I'm not putting that down. That, that's life. But the most important words that you will ever say to anyone in this life is who Jesus Christ is. And that if they come to know Him as Lord and Savior, they can have their sins forgiven and they can have eternal life, a quality of life they could never even imagine. There's nothing more honoring, nothing more rewarding than living as a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's something else that we, we need to think about. It's also in verse 5. If you look, it's this desire, the desire just to, to be involved, to be connected, to realize that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves, well, the one that would compete, the desire he wanted to run in such a way that he would 
win, be crowned. But it's important that he needed to do it lawfully. The greatest desire was for, for whatever contest it is, is, is to be the winner. I remember surfing, how I wanted to win the contest. And it might be for another one for a runner. Whatever it would be, the excitement. Wow, if I could just do this. Remember Joey Baran? He trained and trained as a young man. He knew that he was going to win the Pipeline Masters. None of the guys would let him in the line years ago when he went out to Pipeline and he surfed on the worst conditions out there. And then he won the contest. He wanted everyone to see him. As they were handing out the rewards, it started to dump on him as he got his reward. And everyone was gone. He couldn't show anybody. And it left him empty. The only thing will fill your life that the words that Jesus says, good and faithful servant. He said, I will be with you until the end. So we have to have that desire. And it may bring about sweat. It may bring about starving and striving for an athlete. Well, it's, it's going to be difficult for us too. But it's okay. It's worth it. See, Paul's applying this truth to the believer. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, notice what it says. For we must all appear before that judgment seat of Christ so that each one be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One day again, each one of us are going to stand before the Lord. Everything that you've done for the name of Jesus Christ, it's going to be tested, tried, fire. It speaks of a judgment. It, it, did you do it with the right motives? The pure heart for the glory of God. There's a judgment seat in the idea this, this bema seat comes from the rewards. Again, from the Greek contest. Again, that's where he picks it up. We should serve Christ like there's only one prize. But it's to have Jesus look upon us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, it's also going to require discipline. It's also there in verse 5. The athlete won't be crowned except for he competes lawfully. There's this discipline to do it the way that's prescribed. It means to, to compete lawfully, to operate within boundaries. And it's important to understand there, there's rules for the athlete he has to follow. Otherwise, he becomes disqualified, quickly disqualified. It's not enough just to simply win. You, you must abide by the rules. Well, we have rules. It's the Word of God. And some will hold up the Ten Commandments. Some will hold up the law. And, and the idea, whatever you want to hold up, let's put it this way. They're God's tender, loving commandments. God's given them to us to show us God's love and our need of Jesus Christ. And our salvation comes in believing in Jesus Christ. But they remind us, this is the course. These are the boundaries. This is how we become like Christ. 
and to know some things were for the Jews and some things are for the church, what we call different dispensations. And if you want to know more about see me afterwards and I'll explain about the dispensations and how God deals with the Jews differently than he does with the church. Well, the athlete does not make the rules up as he goes along. Does his own thing. Otherwise, he's quickly disqualified. And sadly, I've heard people within the church, well, this is what I'm going to do. I know that's not what the Bible said. You know, people are going to be disqualified because God has prescribed how we are to bring people in the kingdom. It's through the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not a social gospel where you just feed people, be kind to them, make them comfortable on the way to hell. No. They need to know they're sinners and there's hope and they can find forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ when they simply believe and trust in him and he comes in their life and changes them from the inside out. Paul expressed this same truth to the Corinthians. Everyone who competes in the games exercises this self-control as we saw already and they do it to receive a perishable wreath but us imperishable. Then run in such a way as not without aim. He says, box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body to make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself would not be disqualified. There, there has to be this, this focus, this discipline. There's, there's the way to do it with intent on finishing that race. I'm not going to be disqualified. I'm going to know what those rules are. I'm going to know what those boundaries are, and I'm going to follow. Now, the word disqualified is interesting because it means rejected, disapprove, cast away. Not worthy of a prize. Remember Peter before Jesus went to the cross? Jesus said, you would deny me three times, and Peter, no, no, no. You'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter did. He couldn't even look Jesus in the eye. But, but Jesus went to reconcile Peter. It's so easy to make a profession, to be disqualified. I would hate to have Jesus look at me and be rejected because I believed in another Jesus. Second John 1.8 says this, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you've accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. There are many times, watch, beware, but do not lose what you've accomplished. Some people are not following God's prescription. They're doing it their own way. They're careless sloppy. They have a loss of rewards. Oh, I've done it in the name of Jesus. But Jesus didn't ask you to do it. We need to follow and learn to listen to him. Learn to wait upon him. In verse 6, he begins a, the second metaphor today. A, really the working farmer. It's a hard-working Farmer. In fact, there's three important truths concerning this. And it's being focused upon being strong in the grace. 
first of all, there's a, as a farmer, it, it requires a, a great investment, a lot of money. And it, it, the text talks about a hardworking farmer. It, it's, it, even with the investment, it's, it's not easy. It requires an enormous investment, depending on the crop you're growing, the length of time. Some crops take years to, to grow and some are rather quickly, but either way, it's investment. The crops that take less time sometimes can be the, the greatest profit or it can be the greatest loss. So there's a requirement for equipment, machinery, seed, and so forth that goes on. If the farmer's to, to be successful, he really needs to give himself to the work. You know, that means getting up early, going to bed late. That means battling the cold and the heat and the rain and the droughts, the insects and animals, and it seems like it, it never ends. Ministries like that sometimes, it seems like the enemy never gives you a break, but it's true that God uses it to strengthen our faith, to make it stronger, to prepare us for that next attack that we're going through. I remember as a nurseryman going out in the mornings, uh, it, it was so cold that, that you know, it, I, I couldn't get my hands warm. My plants, there was time when they were frozen in their pots and it took three days to thaw out. I've seen it so hot that the plants are wilting before my eyes. I've seen it so windy when a, a very petite girl was holding a wand into the rain trying to water and saturate the soil while we had sprinklers blowing and the wind was blowing it away from the Santa Ana winds just to try and raise the humidity and the wind was holding her up and I, if the wind stopped, she would hit the ground. She was leaning so hard into the wind. I remember one time they, they had a fire on the hill and they seeded the hill and they seeded with weeds and all the seeds in two weeks blew down in my nursery. My whole nursery was full of weeds. Ministries like that sometimes. The weed and tear grow side by side. There's a battle going on and it's hard. It's frustrating, but you've got to have that commitment to keep that focus, to know where you're going and where you're going to finish that race. It uses that phrase, very important, the, the hard-working farmer. It means he grows weary in ministry sometimes. It's, it's weary, it's tired, it, it's toil. It's so easy to become discouraged. There was a year, in one year, we had a whole section of plants just die before our eyes and there was nothing we'd do. And we found out after a period of time, after we did tests, it was a, a fungicide that was contaminated with a herbicide. And all the plants died. There was nothing we could do. And when we figured out what we could do, we lost all this money. And yet there were people that lost more money. And there's great losses in the ministry sometime. People we put hope and trust in and, and find out they're really not true believers. It's interesting as we think about that the ministry, there, there's this 
comparison, but it, 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 what, even though it's back-breaking, it, it requires this diligence, this discipline, this steadfastness, a commitment. I'm all in. And that's what the farmer is, all in. And that's what God wants. He wants all of you. He wants the whole person. Body, soul, spirit. Well, again, notice this phrase, hardworking. It, it, it speaks in, in, in this sense of continuous labor. That means when you're ministering for the Lord, you're on call 24 hours a day. There may be somebody that you've shared the gospel, but, and then some disaster happens in their life and they call you in the middle of the night. And certainly you want to be there, but it's not easy to sit by someone's bed week in and week out as they die. I remember sharing the gospel with a person and time and time again and and I don't know whether they believed or not believed. I know the gospel was given. I know that even in their own heart, God would know whether they could speak. They had a stroke and they couldn't speak. That I know that God is so merciful that he would receive them if they would only acknowledge. But I don't know how hard that heart was. But I know right after that time, I was quickly out of that place and God had put me in another place. Because God had a, another work to do. There's a time of sowing and reaping is down the road. It, it, it doesn't happen overnight. There's sowing and there's watering and there's nurturing. Sadly, there's Christians that, that come to the Lord but never mature. They just want to get by. They just want heaven without any sacrifices. They're not diligent. And Christ is not the priority and they're, they're trying to find other things to, to occupy their time. To find happiness in and, and yet Christ is there waiting, willing. They get tired and wore out, burn out. Because they've not kept their eyes upon the author and the finisher of their faith. This is what Paul was talking about, this constant work. When he said to work out your salvation in fear and trembling in Philippians 2.12 and 13. Speaking to the Philippians, so then, beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, he saw them being obedient. He saw them doing the right things, but he says, I'm going to be gone. Now take these things as you learn and live them out. Apply them to your life. God puts that desire in your heart. Now walk in faith. Believe Him and trust in Him and know it's all for His glory. In Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap if we do not grow weary. Many Christians burn out. They quit. They tire. 
maybe in a small church and then move to a big church to, to hide out. God wants us to continue. Be committed to Him. In due time, we'll see what He's, he's doing. Again, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, we saw again, I planted Paul, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth in the right season. And there's a season of harvest. So no matter what those conditions are that you're going through in life and ministry, even though it looks dull, it's, it's always too soon to quit. Because God's word doesn't come back void. And if, if you're faithful in what he's called you, what he's showing you, you will see it come true in that time. Well, there needs to be an increase again. That is for the farmer. In verse 6 in our text, the farmer will be a partaker in the fruit. You'll get a chance to experience the fruit. What's interesting is that faithful farmer always reaps more than he sows. There's a, there's a great and good increase for those who are faithful. When you're faithful to honor God, God will always honor you. The work, the dedication pays off. The farmer's able to enjoy the, the full fruit of labor. And, and I know that I will see it and you will see it if we just continue trusting and resting in the Lord, just being obedient, applying the word to our own lives. Same is true in the Christian when we invest himself in living for God. Let me read 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. See, the Lord knows. The Lord sees. He sees that, that motive that's in your heart. He sees what you're going through for him. He sees that dedication of love, that commitment to him. It pleases him, blesses him. In 2 Timothy, again in our text in verse 7, notice chapter 2, verse 7, consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul's calling them to careful consideration of what he just said. Consider it, observe it, comprehend it, heed it, and apply it. Paul is telling us that these truths that we need to get a hold of and we need to settle on, be determined, we're going to finish the race. Look in verse 8 in our text. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the descendant of David according to my gospel. I think one of the reasons that he says, remember Jesus, first of all, the false teachers were a problem in Ephesus. It's all about Jesus. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's about Jesus. Our message is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. You take Christ away from Christianity, it falls apart. There's nothing. You take the, the cross away, the resurrection away. You don't have Christianity. And people yet have a different Jesus, a different Messiah. 
See, the heart of false teaching is incorrect view of who the Christ is, the Messiah. See, the motivation that will keep you and me moving on is, is remembering Jesus Christ. He's the author. He's the finisher of the faith. He's the one that we're going to stand before one day. He's the one that will say, good and faithful servant. We need to keep in mind that that we're serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That our work is an eternal work. It's something that we may not see today, but in the end, we'll see what God has accomplished through us. And Paul said, according to my gospel, he was referring again to the, the gospel message that he preached, which was about Jesus. Just simply reminding him of what he preached. What was the gospel? The gospel was the good news that Jesus Christ created in the likeness of sinful flesh without sin became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and he's risen from the dead. The Father accepted that sacrifice. He was the descendant of David fulfilling the prophecy. Look with me in verse 9 where it texts, for which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a, as a criminal. The, the message that he was bringing was that of Christ, Christ Jesus. His freedom was taken away. He was put in chains and bondage. But he goes on to say, and I love these words, but the word of God is not imprisoned. The chains obviously were humiliating, probably even very painful, heavy, causing a, abrasions upon his skin. Maybe the, the sweat uh, up on the chains on, even probably had rust that was upon his arms, upon the hairs of his arms, if there was any left. Imprisoned, yes. But the word of God was not in prison. It was not in vain. He was treated as a criminal, But it was pleasing unto God. It was pleasing to Paul. Paul knew that God used it for good because the gospel spread faster than ever before. Perhaps he even thought about Isaiah 55, 11. So will my word be which forth goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter which I sent. God's word doesn't come back void. Paul was sharing to prisoners there, people that he'd shared with, they saw his commitment to lay down his life. Jesus said, if anyone want to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. Paul had to bear a cross. That was his suffering. You may never bear that type of suffering. But you will suffer if you desire to follow Jesus. It requires a commitment. Just suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And follow him daily. Paul did it till the very end. He fought the good fight. And he knew he finished the race. See, the messenger might be hindered. 
But the word has never stopped. It continues to spread. Look at verse 10. For this reason I endure for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Some people like to build upon the doctrine of election and chosen, and I'm not going to go there. I'm going to tell you that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You were God's elect. I'm going to tell you if there were words up here, it says whosoever will, but if you get on the other side, you go through that doorway, it says chosen before the foundation of the world. You have free will. There's a balance there somewhere. I don't know exactly where that is. There's truths that are true on both sides. It's the extreme of those teachings both that are bad. And I think there have been many people that understood that deal. Moody said once, he says, um, God save your elect and elect some more. He, because he knew that was the very heart of God. Paul understood that was the very heart of God, to bring the gospel, to reconcile man unto himself. He taught it time and time again to all the different people he did, wherever he was at. He says, this is the reason I do This is the heart of God, he's saying. For the chosen, for those that will receive him, those who will commit their lives to him. Why? So that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. No, salvation is in Christ Jesus. The moment you're born again, you're placed into Christ, safe and secure, and kept until the end, and with eternal glory. Now, what God wants from you is not a contribution. But he wants you. He wants a, a total commitment. See, it, the difference between failure and success is, is, is the contribution and, and really a, a commitment. I'd like to finish with an illustration or two. See, that, that difference, again, is, is seen in a, in a chicken and a hog. They were walking past a church building one day when they noticed the Sunday morning sermon posted outside on a bulletin board. Helping the poor. And they walked a ways, and when the chicken suddenly came across a, with a suggestion, say, Brother Hog, why don't we give the poor people a nice breakfast of ham and eggs? The hog thought a moment and replied, That's all right for you to say, because for you it's only a contribution, but for me it's a total commitment. That's what God wants is a total commitment, not, not a, just a contribution. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. See, commitment to God rises from the faith in his promises that he is coming again. And you and I will stand before him and, and we will be accountable for this life that we lived. Oh, we'll have salvation by trusting in him, but will you hear those words, good and faithful servant? But the commitment will be expressed in the worship, the way we worship, the adoration that we have for him that leads us to obedience to his commands. Out of love. Out of realizing what he has done. See, commitment to God means a commitment as well to his people that we're committed to him and committed to each other. 
If your relationship is not right with someone today, he says, before you come to the Lord's table, we're going to do in a few minutes, I want you to get your life right. Because your relationship is not right with me until you get it right with them. It's one of the things we do when we come to the Lord's table. We examine our hearts. See, believers are meant to be nourished. They're meant to be supported by the church and to work toward edification, the building up of one another in the Lord. God's calling you today to be committed. Maybe you need to recommit your life to make him the Lord of your life. Maybe you're not being everything that you want to be in Christ and you just need to say, God, help me commit myself completely to you. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, if there's anyone here that needs to come forward to, to speak to you privately, draw them to you. And Father, if there's anyone here that needs prayer, give them the boldness to come up that we might pray for them, to encourage them. Lord, we want to lay hands upon them. We want to build them up in you. We want to remind them the assurance of you.